0: Thank you for your enthusiastic singing. Singing with one voice, and I so appreciate these songs that Brother Wesley selected to pair and coordinate with the message this morning. Let's go to the Lord one more moment, if we could. Father, it is our confession That we have nothing good unless it comes from you. Nothing. We pray that you would help us to believe that and to appropriate it. And help us to, this morning, as we hear your word, and rather think, rather than think, oh, isn't this a nice passage? We pray that you would take this word and, and truly press it into us so that its imprint is on us as a church family. Help us be mindful that we're receiving this word not as an, as an audience of one, even as we understand that we're a body. One body with many parts. Help us wrestle with the implications of that this morning. And thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that is more than sufficient and is uber abundant to help us take this word and to grow and to become the people growing up into our head the Lord Jesus Christ as you would have us to. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing this series, what I call the essential series. And we've considered the gospel. We've considered worship. And you might say in the gospel that good news, it is the good news by which God advances his plan of redemption, all those blessings in Christ Jesus that we read about in Ephesians 1 are advanced with the preaching of the gospel. Not just like this, the free offer, but even that which we do to ourselves every day. Like if you're in the car this morning and you're on the way to church and you lose your temper Men, let's say with your wife or with your children, and you realize you walk in in a less than charitable disposition. You've not uh, negated the need for the gospel. In fact, you've highlighted. That's why you come. You you don't come worthy. You become. You come because he is worthy, and his gospel is enough. And so this morning. After considering in recent weeks the gospel and worship that we were all made worshipers, I want us to think this morning of this idea of nurture, living out one another. Because it's Edmund Clowney that says simply, the church is called to ter- serve God directly in worship, one another in nurture, and the world in mission. And that's why it's easy, for example, to pray for John and Bethana and those Indian tribes in Arizona where they minister. And so when you hear the word essential, right, that's different than optional. It's like what's absolutely necessary. And so in this series, we have been asking, why do we gather? What's the point? Because if we answer the why, we say the what and how will naturally follow. They'll follow. And as we think about nurture in this one another, which I think you can find that phrase maybe 50 times in the New Testament. Some of you could look that up, one another. I want you to think about this reality as we open Romans 12, and Paul transitions in his magnum opus from laying out the whole plan of redemption then to show us the lines the Implications of the Gospel in Our Life Together, to borrow from the title of the book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And anytime you see a therefore like in Romans 12, 1, Paul is clearly making a transition. He's turning us. We've turned. Like when your GPS says, you know, turn left here in 700 feet. There's a turn here. And I want to give you five points for this sermon. And I want us to break this down into first, in chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, what I call the doxological foreground. Just two things the doxological foreground. Before you look too hard at Romans 12, you get centered and bolted to these four verses at the end of chapter 11. Next is in the first two verses of chapter 12, his mercy, our basis. His mercy, our basis. So first, doxological foreground. Second, his mercy, our basis. Third, the third point we're going to see in verses three through eight of chapter 12 is having, receiving, and using. And I'm using three participles there. Having, receiving, using. Fourthly, and I want to credit Dave Kruver with helping me think about this in many conversations over the last four years, and that is outward facing love from chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Outward Facing love. And then finally, just radical responses in verses 14 through 21. So, first, the doxological foreground. You notice I didn't say background, I said foreground, as though it's there in front of you and it's one horizon you're seeing through. Secondly, in the first two verses of chapter 12, His mercy, our basis. Third, having, receiving, and using. Of course, that's of the gifts in verses 3 through 8. And then in verses 9 through 13, this outward facing love. And then finally in verses 14 through 21, what we call radical responses. Some of you know on YouTube there's a thing called the Flight Channel. Has everyone, anyone ever seen the Flight Channel, something like that? Okay. Well, and it, and it tells you about the his, all types of things about flight. But one of the things is about airplane crashes, and it goes into what's happened, how did it happen, what is it? Have you ever thought exactly what it is that keeps a plane flying? Every plane that gets too vertical, and we have—I think we have a pilot, at least one person—that's flies regularly in the church. You understand that there's a very important relationship between that area of the wings to provide support and elevation and lift so that when a plane, it has to get up to go, but it must remain in a, in a great sense horizontal to maintain flight. Whenever a plane gets what? Too vertical, those, those wings, by losing that horizontal, not like this, but it's the same, same square feet of wing, but when they're not horizontal enough, they lose flight. And some of us this morning, maybe some of you have lost some flight, you are in danger of wrecking because you don't have enough horizontal orientation and therefore vertical lift in your Christian life. You've forgotten your brothers and sisters in the nurture that you need to both give them and receive from them. So first, let's look, as we think about nurture in living out the gospel with one another, let's look at the doxological foreground in these four verses. I want you to notice, I'm so glad Brian read verse 32 as well, because you'll see this word, that, this expression that God might have mercy on all, that's why he's consigned all to a disobedience, and then that makes sense why we'll see in a moment that Paul appeals to God's mercy in verse 1 of chapter 12. But first, notice that God is the source, he's the means, and he's the end or the goal of all things. We might say he is the telic goal from the word telos, of all things we're not in the middle of that it's him to him therefore he says be glory forever so we may nurture others because he is all he is the source paul says for from him right there is the idea of source he and through him there is the idea of agency or means and then there is the end or goal of all things and to him are all things you realize as we think of this doxological foreground to chapter 12 that most of the time we're embarrassed we we turned we turn red in circumstances because rather than living with the mindset that from him and through him and to him are all things, all of that has terminated upon us. And what's got to set our orientation as we move to all these imperatives, the application of the gospel in chapter 12, is that it really isn't about us. And you see this word depth. In verse 33, like Paul pausing as he's turning the page from the doctrinal to the practical portion of Romans is almost breathless. It's like, oh. In fact, the other night I was outside. I think this was maybe Friday night, and I didn't realize that maybe Friday was going to be a full moon. And I looked up, and there was our street light, and exactly parallel and right next to it was a full moon. And it was that aha moment of, oh God, this is your world. How is it that you bring this cycle, the phases of the moon, so that roughly every 30 days with clockwork, There it is again, the full moon. And so I know that I can take September 29th and add 30 days to it, and that's likely the full moon in October. This is our Father's world. And not only in creation, not only in providence, but in redemption, there is this display of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. And Paul says, he asks, really, he asks, he exclaims, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And so, who can then say, I've known the mind of the Lord? And there, of course, he's, he's quoting from the book of Isaiah, who has known the mind of the Lord in 1134, or who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid, and of course, The answer is, no, these are rhetorical questions. No one has known the mind of the Lord. You have not been the Lord's counselor. You have not given a gift to God with the expectation that on the basis of that gift he might repay you. And then he summarizes it all to give us this horizon, what I call a doxological foreground before he begins the imperatives in chapter 12. And so before we hear the first thing pressed on us as far as duty and our response to the gospel, we're reminded that God has had mercy on all, that all about God is so deep we cannot plumb its depths. It's so exalted we cannot reach its heights. And God will not be owed by us. We'll not even fully understand him. And it shuts our mouth. And we say with Paul, not stating simply a matter of fact, but this is to be worshiped. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That is the doxological foreground before Paul puts one thing upon us. Now he transitions. And it's his mercy that is our basis. And when he says, I appeal to you in verse one, that word can be, I entreat you, I urge you, brothers. We're brothers and sisters. And I love this. He doesn't simply say, now I'm going to appeal to you based on the logic of everything I've said. He could rightly say say that based on those first 11 chapters. But in tenderness, he says, by the mercies of God. Because as we always say, he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. And we could say that right here. And then he says, look, make this presentation. All that you are. And maybe, you know, like for a moment, think of all that you are, just individually. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Body, soul, and spirit. You're living, you're breathing, right? Your brain is sending impulses. But there's these members that Paul has spoken of in Romans 6. Like there's this capacity for speech and thinking and listening either well or poorly. There's eyes that can glare, a nose that can flare in anger, but there are eyes that might express compassion. There's words and lips that though capable of cursing have a much higher and more regal calling, as we'll see later, to bless. Bless. Paul says, in the shadow of this doxological foreground, because of this God who has had mercy on all, he says, that's it. Because of his mercy, I make this appeal to you, and here is your gospel commission. Give all that you are, All your members, pray with David in Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The prayer that, in a word that sounds maybe paradoxical, it's an oxymoron to speak of a living sacrifice, think about it. to me when you sacrifice something you kill it and so the way we die daily is to give ourselves to god in this living sacrifice of service to our god and it's not simply ethereal to be spiritual is to give all that we are our time our talent our treasure our capacity, our gifts, our graces, our resources. And then in contrast, as we think of his mercy, our basis, and here's the main point here, is that we may nurture others out of the kindness that we have received from him in mercy through Christ. I am able as we think of nurture and living out the gospel with one another, I am able, you are able to love because you have been loved. You are able to respond kindly as the Spirit dwells in you or if you are Christ, as Vodi Bacham brought to our attention a week and a half ago, If if we've been justified and we're going to be sanctified right in the middle of there, we've been adopted. And if we are children of the Father, we have the spirit of the Father dwelling in us, making us more and more like Christ. And therefore, we may nurture others out of the kindness that we've received from him in mercy through Christ. And so here's these two words. Don't be conformed. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Understand that, I don't know if it's chrysalis is the word, something like that. Does that sound right? Like a butterfly? Not chrysalis, all right? Okay. That... You don't stay a chrysalis. The goal is that there be this released, beautiful, winged, floating butterfly. And if you're in Christ, you don't stay conformed to the world. That's not the pattern you pursue, but you're transformed by this thing, the renewal of your mind. Very interesting. Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, but then... He speaks of being transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so, taken together, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, and let your life be marked not by conformity to the pattern in the spirit of this age, this world order, but be transformed for this purpose that by testing, by use, you may grow. You don't remain naive and foolish. You become discerning and wise to know the will of God. And implicit in knowing that will of God is to do that will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Look with me. Thirdly, we've looked at the doxological foreground We've seen that it is is His mercy that is our basis for responding to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, to rather being conformed to the ways and thinking of this world to be renewed and to be transformed by a renewal of our mind. But we think thirdly of having, receiving, and using. You'll notice that as Paul has spoken of mercy, appealing to the mercies of God, now he says, look, and I love this. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, what not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, naturally, it would make sense for Paul then to say, and neither think what? Too lowly, but he doesn't. Have you ever noticed that? He says, Think soberly. Okay, I got this. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, and that accords with think with sober judgment. He says, Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And then he makes a point that we understand. Like this is one body with many members, two hands, two feet, one heart, two lungs, one brain, some of you might question that, two eyes, one nose, you get it, but it's one body. And I look out, what do you see? Do you see 150 people or do you see one body reflected in many members? And he says this, he states this in a way that's kind of chiastic. A, B, B prime A. Look at this for a moment. And verse 4 As in one body, we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we get that. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God, everyone's not a nose. 1 Corinthians 7, right? Can you imagine everyone walking around? <laughs> Like this? Or just everyone's eyes. Like everyone's this big monoclonal, big eye. Everyone's around looking, staring, like looking under. Okay, praise God. Or we're all just all feet and everyone's just running around, all right, with no order or anything. We don't have all the same function. And so as we read here, we'll read in verse 6 in a moment, it's important that we're appreciating That we all have gifts. Those gifts differ according to the grace given to us. And the call then with the acknowledgement that you and you and you have gifts, every person does. Are you a believer in Christ? Then the Spirit has given you gifts, graces, Capacity, even opportunity. And Paul says, remember, when you look at your brother or sister, rather than be jealous or resentful or disdainful, say, this is crazy. This is so cool. My brother, my sister has gifts that have been given according to the grace of God. There's that word grace again, verse 3 and verse 6. But back just for a moment to this. One body, many members, they would all have the same function. And then he reverses course. Verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So let me ask you this question. When you look around... Do you see brothers and sisters that are all that much different than you or do you see them as part of the one body that belongs to Christ? is this amazing to think that on the first day of October, 2023, God has so arranged Grace Baptist Church tailors as small and seemingly insignificant as we are he has put together a variety of people with stories and gifts and graces and time and talent and treasure as part of his plan to grow his church until Jesus comes. Like literally, this gathering is a fulfillment of those words by Jesus when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I think sometimes if we're honest, we can keep each other rather than seeing and appreciating and receiving with joy the contributions of others and the gifts, having, receiving, and using. We're like, I don't need that. I don't need whatever you have. I don't need it. And whatever I have, I'm not giving to you. Are you willing to equally, selflessly receive the gifts, contributions, the graces of others as enthusiastically as you are giving those? Same thing. So we may nurture others. Here's the point. We may nurture others by the humble, faithful, and selfless use of our spiritual gifts and graces. I want you to note, how Paul sets this up in verses 6 through 8. Having, receiving, and using. Notice, there's six or seven of these. And it's very interesting, three or four just repeat the word, service, serving, teaching, teaching, exhorts in his exhortation. Okay, maybe three of those, right? But four of them, kind of magnify, they enlarge, they give a greater expression to what's going on. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, right, in generosity, or in the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, okay? So three of them, he simply repeats the idea. Like, if you teach, if if you teach, teach, Wow, it's like, that's really brilliant. Paul, that's incredible. He said, yeah. If you exhort, uh, exhort. But what he's saying here, he's simply saying that what you have that differs in some ways from your brothers and sisters according to the grace given to you, use it. Okay? If you're like me, maybe you have stuff in your house or your garage that you didn't even know you had. Does anyone does anyone understand that? Okay, all right. You've got junk, and you really find that out when you move, all right? And what you realize is, man, I had all this stuff, and apparently I really didn't what? Need it, because I'm used to it, all right? It's kind of like, if you haven't worn a shirt in your closet in six months, it's like pro- probably time to go. Like, just, we need to replace you. You're fired, okay? Something like that. What about you? What about your God given gifts and graces. And there's a book called Solution Focused Pastoral Counseling. And the very premise of the book, and the way we counsel and even disciple one another, the way we relate and live out these one another's, is the starting assumption is that the spirit of God is at work in your brother and sister. If you are in the worst conflict you've ever had right now with another brother or sister like the worst like it's bad have you are you telling yourself that guess what i'm in conflict with someone in whom the spirit is at work and therefore i may trust god as we try to work through this, I don't need to despair, but I may maintain this forward movement because God is at work in my brothers and sisters, and that's true as well as far as gifts, having gifts that differ then, according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Here's my question. Does anyone in this church have any idea of what your gifts and graces are? And I'm not saying because you've touted that. You've gone on Facebook and said, my spiritual gift is blank, blank, blank. But it's just so obvious that you can't miss it. Are you using what you have? Well, fourthly, I want us to see the nature of what Paul is calling us to. And it's this outward facing love in verses 9 through 13. And the focus here is particularly within the covenant community. What you see in 14 through 21 can be applied even more broadly than simply the the body of Christ, but the larger community. But 9 through 13 seems to focus us within the covenant community where we live out all these one another's. And we see that we can nurture others by this outward-facing, spirit-fueled and knee-bending love where we are the first to put water in a basin and grab a towel and to meet one another's needs. We open not just our hearts, but our homes, our wallets, and we view time, and hear me carefully, We begin to view time not as an expense, but as an investment. This is something I've had to learn. I really still feel I'm just learning this. I mean, I think Pastor Jamie remembers even when we worked together at Hatfield Builders a number of years ago, how I had to rethink interruptions and see interruptions Not as irritating, but to see them as divinely appointed. Do you spell love with others, T-I-M-E? Or you wound up with your schedule so tight that no one can ever find a margin within it. Look at these verses for a moment. Let love be genuine. The idea is... Let love be without, literally, without hypocrisy. Don't be nice. Nice is okay. Like, be kind. I don't see, like, the the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, like, niceness. No, love, joy, peace, right? Patience, kindness, goodness. Right in the middle. That's pretty interesting. Right in the middle of the nine love joy peace patience kindness of the nine goodness faithfulness gentleness self control do you love genuinely or do you give people wane smiles that you know you give them a smile but you've withheld your heart from them These verses remind us, do they not, as we read, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. To love one another with this brotherly affection. Actually, in that expression there, verse 10, there's no verb. It is with, if you translate it literally, with phileo, with brotherly love, loving others. And I think it's very helpful that you might know that these, this whole section 9 through 13 is only two verses in the Greek text. It's, all, it's a composite. And it reminds us that love here is not hate. It's not, it's not simply the opposite of hate. And the opposite of love is, does not always look like hate. It looks like an indifference to the other, to the other. That's why actually in 1 Corinthians, as Paul comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and you don't need to turn there, the whole point is is Paul is taking the believers, and it's like the whole of the church of Corinth is on this rotating dais. And he says, guys, you're all about you. Now let's rotate you so that your orientation is, is all about the other. And so he says, I'll do one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord in all of these as part of one sentence. I think it's just, let love be genuine is one sentence. But from the word, abhor what is evil. From that expression, To the final phrase, seek to show hospitality is all one sentence. It's all one composite thought. Are you, what's your vibe? Let me ask you this. What's your basic MO for the Christian life? Like right now, is your goal to be as comfortable? Or more comfortable tomorrow than you are today? Or could you say, with Paul, could you state that your desire is with joy to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of others' faith? That's what this outward facing love is. Like, there's no mention here of your needs and your opinions and your agendas, or my needs or my opinions and my agenda. It's outward facing. And anytime you see the word one another here, I want you to notice, I want you to know this that word there, all alone, is from where we get the word allos or alloy. It's something. Another of the same kind of material. So when you, when you read Paul say, when Paul says, love one another with brotherly love or brotherly affection, he's casting your eyes to one another to see each other not so different, but to see sameness, not difference. Does that make sense? Sameness, not difference. Look at these next verses, and we'll finish here. And that's the idea of radical responses. Sometimes it looks like perfect alignment, and sometimes it looks like a surprising response. These radical responses here in verses 14 through 21 is that we may nurture others by a radical and really counterintuitive response to their joys, their sorrows, and their sins. And there's no doubt as you look at this, Paul is broadening the purview from the covenant community even larger. But you might say, actually, no, I felt some persecution within the body of Christ. I felt some real critique, some resistance, some adversaries within the body. Well, here's Paul's word to you. And you'll notice that he's going to pull... From Proverbs 25, here in this idea of, on the one hand, we come alongside and we match. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We stand alongside them. We weep with those who weep. So we rejoice or weep with those that do. But we release others to God's wise and just dealings. That's why we may bless those who persecute us. We may bless and not curse them. Let me ask what's your default? What's your default when you're in conflict, when you meet an adversary, you find a brother or sister that's really not getting you or appreciating you? Is it to be defensive? Is it like while you're taking a shower to conjure up a seven-point defense? You know, you're in there thinking, okay. Like they just don't understand. Or is it to entrust them to God? Is it in a radical and counterintuitive way to come and bring blessing to their persecution and blessing to their cursing? Is it to be ready like even when we have a couple, couple of couples getting married these next two weeks, to rejoice with them, to be present, and to say, we couldn't be more glad for you. We're so happy for you. Is it to come alongside those who are in chronic pain, maybe those who've lost loved one, and let them not be the only ones in the room who are weeping? How about this when? When you hear other notes, look at verse 16. He says, live in harmony with one another. Could you imagine if there was only one note within the Christian community? But Paul is saying, look, this is not a cacophony. This is not an evil sound to be of different notes. He says, you live with one another even when the sound is quite different. And it's so helpful, he says, don't be haughty. Just take the low place. Give the benefit of the doubt. Honor others' gifts. Think the best, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Allow for the fact that you don't have the market cornered on common sense or biblical wisdom. Like others have legitimate thoughts and wisdom as well. Do not be wise in your own sight. In fact, he says, never be wise. And then finally, let's just close here over the next couple of minutes. He says, Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That sounds just like Hebrews 12, verse 14. Now think about this just for a moment. Why this emphasis on unity and peaceableness? Do you remember in the preceding section, as we thought about having and receiving and using our gifts and graces, we're one body. And though we have many members, we're individually members one of another. Do you see that? do you see that because of that reality, we must do everything possible, Paul says in verse 18, as long as we have any influence, as long as it's on our side of the table, to live peaceably with all. By the way, avoiding one another is not living peaceably with one another. Does that make sense? That's simply avoiding one another. To live peaceably means we must come together not to attack, but to address and say and put on the table, hey, this is where I am with you. That doesn't mean we bring a pattern of weekly rebukes to each other. Like, you know, your daily Bible verse? Hey, let me just bring your weekly rebuke. That doesn't work. And that's not what Paul is calling us to. And so then it makes sense. Don't avenge yourselves. So possibly, this is both within the body and outside. Don't avenge yourselves. Rejoice or weep with those that do. Release others to God's wise and just dealings. Resolve to use good as evils conquer. There's a pastor friend of mine that said, when he was a young pastor, when he saw something that he was concerned about in one of his members' lives, he would immediately address it. And as he aged and he got more gray hair, he began to pray for that person first, to bring to God, to bring them to God, even before he began to address an issue with them. Is there someone you're tempted to repay evil for evil? Paul says, release others to God's wise and just dealings. And this isn't isn't a warrant for not addressing matters, but it's saying start with praying for others. Start entrusting others to God as they're his blood-bought sheep. And he closes with this beautiful pair of verses from Proverbs 25. He says, look, here's a new way of thinking. Rather than attacking, rather than retaliating, Rather than warring with your hungry enemy, feed him. The last person in the world you want to give to, Paul says, take out your wallet and empty it for their good. And he says, you'll have an uncommon and radical result for that person, you'll get their attention. I don't know about you, but if you heaped burning coals on my head right now, you'd have my attention. That's the point. Paul says, there's something about this that gets your attention. And he says finally, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We've seen a doxological foreground. We've seen that his mercy is our basis. It's why Paul appeals to it when he says to present ourselves as living sacrifices we are those who have been having receiving and using spiritual gifts and graces we're called to this outward facing love where we understand that love is not simply the opposite of hate but that that in fact the opposite of love is this terminal indifference, indifference this not caring for the souls and the well-being and the flourishing And then finally, there's a radical response. It's not as the world gives. And that's why the Son of God says to his disciples, even as we think about living out the gospel and nurture with one another, he says, I give you something different. I give you, by faith and trust in me, the true vine, a peace that the world cannot and nor can ever Give. It's to that peace. Let's come. Let's run as we face one another. Amen.